Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we were looking at um, the issue of our acceptable service unto God. We said that since the work of God can only be done by God so that it is acceptable to God, it follows that our acceptable service unto God is to make ourselves ready, available unto God so that he can utilize us to do his work. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we noted that the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they are, be, until they, 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 they are endued with power from on high. It was important for, for, for the Lord that the, that the Holy Spirit come upon and within the disciples before they could even do the work of God which he had assigned them to do. In John chapter 14, verse, um, I think, 16 to 17, thereabout, the Lord Jesus made it clear that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come upon them and he will come within them. He will come within them to purge them, to purify them, to prepare them, to make them ready to work. He will come upon them to put them to do that work, to enable them, to empower them to do that work. And in verse 23 and 24, he made it clear that those who obey, that is verse 23 and 24 of John chapter 14, he made it clear that those who truly love God would obey him. And those who are obeying the command, the word of God, God will come and dwell with them. Indeed, he will indwell them by his spirit. And then we read in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, where we are told that we should present ourselves unto God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship, or which is our service unto God. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 20 and 21, we are told that if we would sanctify ourselves and purge ourselves from iniquity, then God would be able to, to use us because now we will be fit and ready and able to be used for, uh, by, by the master for his own use. So that's basically what we said. And then we now spoke of serving God as being more than the activities that we engage in during, before, and even after church meetings. Indeed, our service to God is considered an act of worship an act of worship in which we acknowledge that all that we are and have is of God and for his purpose. So in, 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 in that issue, in the area of serving God, it is an act of worship. We are worshiping God because we recognize that he's the one who has saved our souls. He's the one who has cleansed us, the one who has purged us. He's the one who has helped in preparing us so that he can now use us for his service. Thus, our acceptable service unto God, we said, is to be living sacrifices, yielded to God only and totally, to live uh, to be holy before God. That is, that we are to live in compliance with God and His Word. Whatever God asks us to do, that's what we do. We are, we, are, we are set apart. We are holy. We are not like the people of the world. We are not to see ourselves like we are in competition with the world. We are distinct. 
and separate from them. And so our, our constitution, what we follow, is the word of God. Thirdly, we are to be well-pleasing unto God, not to man, not to our senior pastor, not to our general overseer necessarily, provided what they are asking us to do is not contradicting the word of God, that's okay. But if, for example, God has told you something that is contrary to what your leader is telling you to do, I, my counsel to you is discuss it with the leader and see where, how it goes. Because sometimes God would use your leader to also stem the issue of timing. So I am not asking you to rebel against your spiritual leaders. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that God has authority over you as much as he has authority over your leader. However, because you are a man under authority, sometimes he would use that authority to, to bring you in line with what his plan and purpose is. To be, to be well pleasing to God is also to be a delight to God, to make him to be pleased with you. That is what we're saying, to be well pleasing unto God. To be well pleasing unto God will mean necessarily, and we note we laid emphasis on this, that your will must be abandoned and you must take on the will of God upon yourself so that you can do the work of God or rather so that God can do his work through you without you contravening uh, uh, contradicting him or walking across purposes of, of his own plan and purpose I'd like to illustrate at this point in time the issue of a car let's let's look at a car and a, a chauffeur or a driver like we call it here here in Nigeria um, so you have a car, you have a driver or a chauffeur, and his function, function of the chauffeur is to make sure that the car is in top shape so that wherever it is that you want him to take you to, the, the, him and the car will take you there without you sweating, without you having to rack your head about whether there's um, enough fuel in the car or whether the car is running smoothly or not. So that basically what we're saying is we are like the driver and the other chauffeur and the car and God is like the owner of the vehicle and so he says I'd like to go to so and so place all he needs to do is come into the vehicle and we take him there unquestioned without arguing without disputing as long as we are there going to dispute and quarrel and raise issues with God he is going to find it difficult to work with us to 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 use us as it were to do his work because what would happen is for example I, I just want to give you a picture paint a picture now imagine that you get into your car and you say to the to your chauffeur your driver say look I'm going to point B and along the way the driver says to you sorry I, I, I need to stop for a bite I mean I'm sure you know that something is wrong somewhere because you are going for an urgent meeting you don't need somebody to tell you that oh I need to make a diversion because I need to get fuel, I need to get some food, and I mean, you also need to rest yourself anyway. That's not his business. Your business is, his business is to take you to where you want to go. It's the same thing here. God expects you and I to be prepared, to be ready, to be fueled, such that whenever it is time to go, we are ready to go wherever he wants us to go to. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 34. The Lord Jesus Christ made it clear. He said, my will, or rather, my meat, rather, that is what I consider food, what I consider op all, uh, optimal, 
what I consider an, an, an ultimate thing in my service to God is to do his will and to finish it. That was his, that was his position. All that he wanted was what is it that God wants done and he do it. In John chapter 5, we see, we, 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 we get an idea of what it is and how it was that the Lord related with his father. And we see that as an example that we can follow. In John chapter 5 verse 19, uh, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So the Lord is saying, I can't do anything of my own. As a matter of fact, I see what my father is doing. And then I come down to earth and replicate it. Remember the Lord's prayer. Uh, thy kingdom come, uh, sorry, thy will be done rather on the earth as it is in heaven. So we see the will of God. We are to see what God wills, what God desires to do, which is accomplished in heaven. And then we come down to the earth and replicate it. It's a simple thing. God is not asking you to go and think of a vision that you want to execute for him. No, he already has a vision. What he does normally is to share that vision with you so that you would not contradict him when you see it happening. It is not because he wants you to, to become a seer or sort. No, he's saying it so that you can cooperate with him. You can partner with him as it were. You can be a part of what it is that he is doing. He's not looking for robots. He's not looking for zombies. He's looking for people who will partner with him, having been sanctified and consecrated. Now, in verse 20, um, verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. And in verse 21, he says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So the Lord Jesus is saying that while he was here on the earth, he did nothing of himself. It was what he saw his father doing that he did. In other words, he walked with the father. He did not walk at cross purposes with the father. He already did not walk against the father, but rather with the father. In verse 30, he said, I can of myself do nothing. On my own, I can't do anything. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So basically what we are saying here is that as long as your will is in there, you are going to have a problem with God. You are going to have a problem serving God. So the issue of our acceptable service unto God is about us putting ourselves in a place where the will of God is our topmost desire where our own will, our own desires have been jettisoned and it is what God wants that takes preeminence. In Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 4, something is said about the, the, the way, the disposition of the Lord Jesus Christ vis-a-vis -vis his Father. And this is a lesson for you and I so that our service can be acceptable unto God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, from verse 1 to 4, it says, There shall come forth a root from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We're not going to be uh, elaborating on this. We know that the Spirit of God will come, will give him wisdom, will give him understanding, will give him counsel, will give him might, will uh, give him knowledge, and will put within him the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That's what the Lord Jesus was saying. I cannot do anything that I have not seen the Father do. I cannot judge until I have heard from the Father, which explains why when they brought the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and, and he knelt down was scribbling, it is possible that what he was waiting for was to hear what heaven would tell him to say, and he said it. In verse 4, the Bible says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. As, per, as, as how God the Father would adjudge it and inform him. So his everyday activity revolved around getting to know what the Father wanted to do. He did not do anything of himself. In Mark chapter 1, we see a classical example of that. The night before that, the incident I'm going to read in Mark chapter 1, a lot of people had come with various diseases and he healed all of them. This followed, of course, the, the healing of Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And so many people came and he healed all of them. Now, in the wee hours of the morning, Mark chapter 1, 35, we take it from there now. It says, now, in the morning, uh, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. In the place of prayer, I believe that the Lord had heard from his father, which other towns to go to. So when they came to him to say, a lot of people are still waiting for you, there is ministry to be done in this town, he said, no, I need to go to the other towns. You see, it is not that he hated those people, but he had heard and had seen what the father wanted him to do, and so he was equipped and prepared and ready to move to the next town, regardless of whatever pressures might have come upon him from his disciples. This is what is supposed to be our own acceptable service unto God. Where we, prayer is no longer about, I want this, I want this, I want that. Yes, we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we can pray that. But the first thing is, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth, as it is always done in heaven. And then we are ready, making sure, ensuring that our wills have been abandoned, and his will, his desire, his purpose, what he wants, is what we have taken on. So that way, we are walking with God, or rather, God is walking through us to do His will, to do His work here on the earth. Having said that, today, we want to move on to discuss certain issues that tend to obstruct us serving God acceptably, that tend to obstruct our doing the will of God. And so we want to look at dealing with issues at the ground floor. 
Now, there's a reason why I have used that term, dealing with issues at the ground floor. Because if we are to serve God acceptably, these issues must be dealt with when we are still young, when we are still unknown, when we are still hidden. Because by the time we begin to manifest, which is when we get to the, top, or the upper floors, we will be exposed irredeemably in, in some cases. I think there's, there's, a, there's a proverb, I'm not sure, from one of the Asian countries that says the monkey's bottom becomes exposed as it climbs up a, 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 a tall uh, coconut tree. And that's what happens. The more, the more you rise in the things of God, the more people begin to know you, the more your past catches up with you if you have not dealt with it. And so we want to discuss dealing with these issues at the ground level. There are many people who have not dealt with the issues in their lives at the ground level, thinking that it will go away. These issues don't just go away. These issues must be dealt with. And God is on hand to help us <clears throat> deal with these issues ab initio. As they manifest, he actually points them out to us and says, you need to deal with this. Let's look at some examples now. In Judges chapter 6, <clears throat> Judges chapter 6, verse 25 to 27, Gideon had been called by God. Gideon, God had appeared to Gideon in the threshing floor and um, eventually after a few things here, it became clear that God wanted Gideon to serve him. And so what did God do? In verse 25, let's read 25 to 27 and then we'll discuss the rest of it. Uh, Judges chapter 6, 25 to 27. Now, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, that is to Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. The bottom line here is that Gideon did it. The first assignment that God gave to Gideon, before even asking him to go and uh, deal with the Midianites was to deal with what was in Gideon's backyard. Idolatry. There was an altar place to Baal. And this is a man who wants to go and rescue Israel from idolatry. But there is idolatry in his backyard. There are many people who are going out today who say that they are deliverance ministers. Meanwhile, they are not delivered from some small things in their backyard. And they are going out and getting themselves into trouble. Today, God is saying to such people, deal with these issues on the ground floor. Don't leave the ground floor until you have dealt with these issues. Because I'm taking you to a place where when we start working together, there would be no reproach that can stick against you. But when you have unsettled, unresolved matters, when these reproaches come, we begin to shiver. That's when we are looking for men to support us. We are looking for men to defend us. We are looking, we are looking to men. There was someone else who was unable to deal with issues on the ground floor. And by the time he got to the top floor, it was an embarrassment. Samson, 
In Judges chapter 14, we'll begin to see some of the one of the principal issues that Samson had. In John chapter, uh, Judges chapter 14, the first verse, I just read the first verse. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath and the daughter uh, a, a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And of course, we know what happened. He, he, he loved her, he wanted to uh, marry her, and so on and so forth. What was it that happened to Samson? He saw his eyes. He never could deal with whatever that it was that is whatever he saw he wanted. He was not he was not able to bring himself to that place of discipline where he would say no 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 I, I must I must deal with this thing. I don't have to have everything that I want. There are many of us like that today. Whatever our eyes see we want. It is called covetousness. And so he set his eyes and went for the girl. Now we know what happened there that he never got married to the girl. So many other things happened. Some other issues in his life began to come up and they destroyed that work there. Even though God wanted to use it as a stepping stone to get at the Philistines, it, it just fizzled out. Maybe a handful of Philistines were killed, but that was it. Nothing really happened. Then in Judges chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible says again, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. His eyes again. He was not able to deal with what he was seeing. Everything he saw, he desired. And so you see Samson having problems. By the time Samson would have gotten to be great, in verse 21 of Judges chapter 16, the Bible says that after Delilah had tricked him and everything, and I'm sure the Bible did not record how Delilah came about it, is the same thing. He saw Delilah, he delighted in her, he went into her, and she became his girlfriend or whatever it was. And that was it. By verse 21, when the Philistines had come upon him and, 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 and they had arrested him, the first thing they did to Samson was to pluck out his eyes. The erring matter had to be dealt with. Since he did not deal with it on the ground floor, it had to be dealt with. There's, there's a case of Moses. After God had called Moses and Moses had resisted, I don't want to go. God said, you must go. And Moses finally said, okay, I will go. Moses took his wife and his children and was going. To Egypt. On the way, the Bible says that God met Moses to kill Moses. And you'll be wondering, why do you sent him to go and do something? Why do you want to kill him? Because his, his second son, the last son, by the way, was not circumcised. It would appear that when the first son was born, he was circumcised. And I'm sure that the, his wife, being a Midianite and not uh, a Hebrew, had seen so much blood had seen all those things and so maybe when the second boy was born she refused him to circumcise him so on the way god attacked moses here is a man that is going to bring uh, liberation to god's people yet he had a problem he had a son just one son that was not circumcised and god could not have him proceed further until he did that in fact moses was so sick he couldn't do it it, it was his wife who circumcised the boy and tossed the first king at the feet of Moses and said, you are a husband of blood. There's so much blood in the religion that you are following. What kind of husband is this? But that was what set Moses free. So there are issues in our lives that must be dealt with on the ground floor. Otherwise, when we get to the upper floors, they will become major flaws in, 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 what we, in, in how we want to serve God. And we will discover that God cannot use us. We may be doing things 
but it is not God doing it. And let me tell you the truth. If God is not doing it, like we said in, in, in our broadcast last, last, the last time, if God does not initiate it, God does not implement it, God, God is not the one who is uh, giving impetus to it, inspiring it, it is not the work of God. It is your work. So God must initiate, must implement, must inspire for it to be his work. Otherwise, it is the work of your own hands. And God has nothing to do with the work that is done by human hands. The work has to be done by him. So it is crucial that we recognize this, that we need to deal with these issues on the ground floor. In the case of King Saul, King Saul had several issues in his life. So many. So you would need to go and read about King Saul. But I'll just point out a few of them. In 1 Samuel, chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Before Saul was made king, uh, Samuel had foretold certain things that would happen. And one of it was that when, you, when that time comes, just wait. I will come to Gilgal and make the sacrifice and then you can continue to do whatever it is that you want to do. But some things happened and um, Saul couldn't wait. And Saul went ahead and did the sacrifice, which he was, he was not even <laughs> empowered to do. He had taken on the role of a priest, which he was not. He was just a king. And he was, he was taking on himself something that he was not asked to do. So let's read it from 1 Samuel chapter 13. I read from verse 10. So he went another way. Uh, no, sorry, I'm reading first. So 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 10. Now it happened, as soon as he, that is Saul, had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And, Saul said to, and Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul was unable to obey God, and he had reasons. First, he, he, he campered to public opinion. He seemed to even have low self-esteem. Saul also had a reason to, to He said, I was forced. Who forced him? So there were some issues that he was not able to deal with at, at, at a lower level. It, it would appear that at home, when they told him to do something, he would do a different thing. He, he, he just was not able to obey. And that became a, an albatross. His kingdom was cut short. In fact, the Bible records that Saul, only, Saul was only useful to God in the first two years of his reign. Thereafter, he was of no use to God. So, but Saul continued as king for 38 years after the first two years. And yet he was of no use to God. So there are people who believe that because they are in ministry right now, because they are doing work, so to speak, that God approves of them. They fail to realize that God does not 
necessarily approve of you just because you have a large crowd, because you think you are busy, and so on and so forth. The point is, what is God saying to you? Has God even been speaking to you at all? Saul continued to reign, but God was not speaking to him. In fact, in the last moments of his life, he recorded, he, he, he said, look, I don't know, God is not speaking to me when he went to meet a, 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 somebody who would, who, who, a, a seer, a, a, what, what, not a seer, what do you call them now? A witch, the witch of Endor, and said they should call the, the dead body of, they should call back Samuel from the grave. I'm sure it, that was, must have been a demon that appeared to him. But he said, God is not answering me anymore. He's not speaking to me by Urim, he's not speaking to me by Tumim. He had forgotten all the things that he had done. He was a man that was very easy to, to, to overlook what he has done wrong and then to put the blame on somebody else. In fact, in, in, in 1 Samuel 13 that we read, you saw that he blamed, even blamed Saul, uh, Samuel for coming late. He said, you didn't come at the time. You said you were going to come. So I forced myself to do it as if that was something that he was supposed to do. In chapter 15, you may have to go and read the whole thing yourself. But God called Samuel, uh, called Saul, from, from, you have to read the entire chapter, and told uh, Saul, I remember what Amalek did when Israel was coming out from Egypt in the wilderness. How Amalek attacked Israel. The Bible says Amalek attacked Israel from the back, killing the weak ones. And God swore that he was going to deal with Amalek. And so God told Samuel, uh, Saul, now I want to deal with uh, Amalek. You are to go there and kill everybody, male, female, children, livestock, everything, completely decimate Amalek. So Saul went, and instead of killing everybody, he left the fat, the fatted calves, brought um, the king Agag, and I'm sure if Agag was rescued, a few other people were rescued, but it was the prime thing was Agag was rescued, animals were kept. So when Samuel came to see, before Samuel came, of course, God had spoken to Samuel. God said to Samuel, it repents me that I made this man king. Now, what kind of thing is this? What, what, kind of, uh, on, uh, what kind of stubborn man is this that cannot change? He's so stiff-necked. He, he just keeps doing what is wrong. I, I don't want, if I don't want him again. So Samuel wept all night for Saul. Then he went in the morning. And when he saw Saul, he said to Saul, ah. in fact, Saul came out to greet him and said, oh, I have done all that God said to, to, for me to do. Ah, Samuel was looking at him. What kind of human being is this? He said, so what is the meaning of the bleatings that I'm hearing? I'm hearing bleatings by goats, by sheep, by cows. What is the meaning of that? I said, oh, you know, we, we took the fat ones because we wanted to give a sacrifice to God. We wanted to give an offering to God. And then we, we also kept Agag. For what purpose? He doesn't know. So someone said to him, ah, is something wrong with you? Let me tell you a story. You were nothing when God called you. And suddenly you think you are someone now to disobey God? What is wrong with you, Saul? He said, don't you know that stop, uh, disobedience is like witchcraft before God? Let me, let me look for that portion so that I don't, I don't misquote it. 23. He said, let me read from verse 20 what, what Samuel said. He said, has the Lord so great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of, of, of rams. For rebellion is, the, is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. This was the nail that sealed the coffin of King Saul. 
because he was never able to deal with the issue of taking instructions even from people. So how much more from God? He thought, because now I am king, I can do whatever I like. He didn't know that even though you are king, you are still under authority. There are many people today who say they are in ministry. They are not even taking instructions from God at all. They are just doing whatever it is that they like. Whatever it is that pleases their heart, they do. They believe that all is well. Just because they have gathered so many people, people who are as stubborn and rebellious as themselves in a meeting, they think that they are doing God's work, whereas they are not doing God's work. If you don't deal with this issue of obedience, that is, you refuse to obey God on simple things, you are going to run into trouble with God. I continue to say it in best repetition. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, how women who are engaged in public worship should not do that with their heads uncovered. And that how men who are engaged in public worship should not do that with their heads covered. But we see a problem today. Women largely do anything they want to do with their heads uncovered. And we point a finger and say, but because, look at this person, there seems to be anointing in the ministry. People are gathered, blah, 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 blah. Has God changed? Has the word of God changed? Now we see men who think that it is fashionable to put on caps whilst in public worship. Has God changed? Is it not the same God? The fact that he's keeping quiet does not mean that he's supporting you. Many people don't know that God can be silent even when iniquity is going on and can remain silent for years until he would come one day. And then when they hear the judgment of God, they will be shocked because they will think that they were doing what was right. And yet they were doing what was wrong. So I'm warning us today, if you know that obedience to the word of God is a problem for you, this is the time at the ground level to go and talk to God. Leave those people who are on the upper levels and are misbehaving because for all you care, God may be finished with them like King Saul. He may have packed them aside two years into their ministry and they don't know. Meanwhile, they are in ministry for years, decades, going on and on and on and God has nothing to do with them. Because there's coming a day of judgment and they are behaving as if that day will never come. And God is sounding a note of warning today that there is a day of judgment coming. All those who think that he's joking, they will know. Remember what he did with Adam and Eve. He told them, don't eat this, don't eat this. The day you eat it, you shall surely die. They ate it. And then they suddenly realized the terror of God. He drove them out of the garden, albeit because he didn't want them to turn into something else. And cut off fellowship with them. Of course, all they got were just droppings of his mercy to keep them, to protect them. That was it. But relationship with God was broken. The general fellowship they had was broken. They thought he was joking. And even though they did not die physically, they died spiritually because the link was broken. Many of us don't understand when God is speaking, that he's speaking in his own language. And you need to understand the language of God to be able to correctly interpret what God is saying. So even though God told them, you shall surely die, they surely died that day. Because they were separated. Physically, they continued to live. But spiritually, they were dead. They were dead to God as far as God was concerned. It is that death that the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring us out of. Suddenly, we are now delivered through salvation. And then many of us want to now go back to live lives of disobedience. What of King David? King David was not a basket of fruit, by the way. We know. We know the kind of heinous things that he did. In fact, the most heinous is the, is the one that, that we all remember. How he took another man's wife, slept with her, 
When she became pregnant, he plotted and eventually killed the husband of that woman. And when the child was born, he took the child as as he took the, he took the woman and the child into the palace, behaving as if he was he was helping a widow, so that his sins would not be found out. But when God challenged him, he did not make excuses like Saul did. He immediately went into, into a mode of, of repentance. And one of the things about David's repentance was that every time David repented, he did not do the same thing that he repented of again. That is true repentance. We turn away from those things and we turn unto God in faith. No wonder in, 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 in Acts chapter 13 verse 22, the Bible says that I have got God speaking about David. Said, I have found David, a man who is after my own heart, one who will do all my will. You will recall that when David was going to be chosen king and Samuel went to the home of Jesse and was going to anoint David's eldest brother, Eliab, that God told Samuel, he said, I don't look on men the way you, you human beings look at things. Men look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. God had seen the heart of David. He knew that David had his own problems, but he had seen a heart that was repentant. He could work with that. Are you an unrepentant, stubborn fellow like Saul? Then deal with it. Understand that the greatest provision, and I keep saying the greatest provision that the gospel brought to man was repentance. That we may do what is wrong, but we can quickly go and repent before God. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. He reminds us, and once we are reminded quickly, we must repent before the Lord. This is one of the crucial things that God loved about David. He was somebody who, when he sinned, did not make excuses, did not give a reason why he did what he did. In fact, in one of the things in Psalm 51, uh, is it verse 4? So he said, I have sinned against you, and you alone have I sinned against. When, 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 when Joseph was confronted by, by um, uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, Joseph, Joseph said to the woman, when she said, Oh, come and lie with me, Joseph said, I cannot do this thing. It is a sin against God. You see, we, we must put things in perspective. Yes, we may transgress against men, but sin is always against God. And we must understand that when we act contrary to the word of God, we are sinning against God. Repentance means that we don't even try to justify our actions. We did what was wrong, full stop. And we go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me that it not happen again. But we have a problem, like Israel. In Acts chapter 7, Verse 51, the Bible says concerning Israel, it says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. These are people who could not listen to God and obey God. He called them stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ear. They are uncircumcised. And so they have a problem. When you are uncircumcised in heart, there is nothing that God is going to tell you that you will do. There are many people today who say they are born again, who are uncircumcised in heart and ear. They have no use to God. They have no use even to themselves. They cannot be used by God to do his work. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6, this is in the old, under the old covenant, Moses made a profound statement that is so crucial and critical to us today. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6, the Bible says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. 
when you love God, you will obey Him. So that's what is being said here. That God will circumcise you. That act of circumcision is what we call sanctification. The heart of man, not this pumping thing, the, the central being of us, the spirit man that is, that's the heart of man, the spirit man, is, is covered with the flesh. Circumcision cuts off the flesh and keeps the spirit open for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with him and walk with him. But as long as the, the flesh is there, that heart becomes impervious to the word of God, to the spirit of God, to instructions from God, and so on and so forth. And so you see that man of the flesh acting in his own will, acting in his own counsel, acting according to how he feels, which is what we are doing today in the churches. We want to serve God on our own terms. In fact, we, we say we are serving God, but it's on our own terms. It's not on his terms. We are gathering people that God did not ask us to gather. We are doing whatever it is that we want to do. Somebody might say, what do you mean gathering people that God does not ask us to gather? Does God not want people? He might want people, but it's not every time that he wants those people that you are gathering at the time you are gathering them. For example, point in case, when Saul, uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, had finished in the area of Galatia, and he wanted to enter into Bithynia, Jesus said no. Is it that the, the people in Bithynia had offended God? No, he said no. He actually wanted to go down to Ephesus from that point. And God said, no. Then he had a dream to go to Macedonia. And he said, okay, this is where God wants us to go. And he went to Macedonia, Philippi. And there he met the woman selling purple. He delivered the girl who, who was uh, working uh, magic with her, with her masters. And the Philippian jailer along with his family in a short space of time. These were people that God wanted to, to, to meet. They, they, they would now continue the work therefrom. We, you cannot do all the things. You are a part. In the, you have a part and a, a, a small portion in the vision of God. You are not bigger than what God wants you to do. So let's not take it upon ourselves to think that if I'm standing on the pulpit and I'm talking to 5 million people, then I've done something greater than somebody else. Somebody else might be praying. That might be greater than... It's not a matter of greater. It is just a part in each, each one has a role to play. Each person's role is significant to God. It's not the size of the people. It's not the, the size of your bank account. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the work that God wants to do in you and through you. So a circumcised heart must be dealt with at the ground floor. From the beginning of your salvation, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to tear, to cut off that flesh and discard it totally and completely. To have a circumcised like Moses' second son, you cannot move forward to do the work of God without that circumcision taking place. You have to be circumcised. You have to be sanctified so that you can serve God acceptably. In Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, I'll just read uh, verse 1 and verse 2. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? But all these things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Poor, that's humble. And of a contrite spirit, or a broken spirit. And who trembles at my word. God says, who, am I, who, who do I want to work with? I want to work with a humble person, somebody with a humble heart. I want to work with somebody with a broken spirit, somebody whose spirit has been, has been torn 
the the four the four flesh the four skin of this of this of, of his of his inner man has been torn he has a contrite spirit his spirit is open to god and who trembles at my word you cannot be preaching the word of god when you are not trembling at the word of god the fear of god is not in you and yet you say you want to serve god you need to deal with these things on the ground floor you need to deal with these things now that you are young now that you're unknown i see many people who just want to jump out they say they want to go to they want to be they want to be involved in ministry oh and i saw a vision and i saw this and i saw that many of those visions that god is showing you is to tell you that you need to start preparing yourself to get to that place it's not for you to jump up and do it no god is going to do it through you in hebrews chapter 3 and part of chapter, uh, chapter 3 from verse 7 down and then jumping into chapter 4 verse to, up to verse 11 we see how a, a whole nation, indeed a generation, if not generations, were rejected by God because they did not deal with certain issues in their lives. The Israelites were a people who, who just could not see what God was doing. No matter how many times God did miracles, they couldn't see it. They could not recognize that they needed to obey God. They just took things in their own for, for themselves let, let, let me just read it quickly i think we've done this some some broadcasts back but it's it's important that i read it from hebrews chapter 3 from verse 7 it says therefore as the holy spirit says today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion when they rebel they harden their hearts they allow the foreskin of, the, of their spirit man to be hardened so it couldn't be removed in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I, we don't have time to explain these things. But be careful that your heart is not evil. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked and evil. Who knows it? You will think you are doing good. But what you are doing is actually evil. Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, thought that he was, he was serving God. When he was killing people. He thought he was doing God's service. Until he met with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And then he realized that I'm doing something wrong. In verse 13, he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive you and then you will think you are doing what is right and you become hardened, caked in your heart, unresponsive to the spirit of God because you think what you are doing is right. Every man is right in his own eyes. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end you must be steadfast in your faith till the end that's when you become a particular with christ otherwise you you will be on the other side you wouldn't even know you would think that you are doing what is right you will be doing what is wrong while it is said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion for who haven't heard rebelled indeed was it not all who came out of egypt and by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter 
in because of unbelief. Here they were talking of a promised land. We are talking of heaven. Will you allow sin, unbelief, rebellion, stubbornness to stop you from entering into heaven? Recall that Moses himself, through anger, was not able to enter into heaven. He was not able to enter into the promised land. Of course, he got to heaven because there they were dealing with the physical thing. It was an example. The Bible says these things are for an example to those of us upon whom the ends of the earth have come. And we are those people. In chapter 4, he goes on. He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. There is a pro the promise is still valid. God is still going to do what he wants to do. And he still wants to do it. And so he's saying, let's be careful. Let's make sure that we don't, we don't misuse it. Let's deal with these issues. In verse 2 it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They were doing as they like. Many of us have heard the word of God, but we don't want to apply it. We don't want to apply faith to the word of God. We don't want to believe it. We want to do as we like. We think that some parts of the scriptures are archaic. The only thing that the Lord Jesus Christ came to do was to take away all the ordinances surrounding the issue of sacrifices. But the commandment of God is there. He said, don't think that I have come to abrogate the law. No, I have come rather to fulfill it. He didn't take away the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, still thou shalt not kill. He didn't, he didn't do away with that. But he made it possible by his spirit that we will fulfill it. And so he said that love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being. That is, the heart being circumcised. And the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, upon these two, hang the entire law. And as long as you are walking with the Holy Spirit, you are yielded to him and following what he's saying, you are accomplishing or fulfilling the law. So even if you don't, even if you cannot read the Bible, but you know the voice of the Holy Spirit, you hear God, and you are doing what the Spirit of God says you should do. You are accomplishing, you are fulfilling the law. It is such people that God is looking for to serve him. God is not looking for stubborn people to serve him. No! He's looking for people who have dealt with those issues that creep up on man. He creep, those things creep up. We think that we have dealt with them. We, sometimes we just cover a lid. We cover a, put a lid over them and think that, oh, because nobody knows. But God knows. Remember Reuben who slept with his father's wife on the father's bed. And the Bible says that Jacob heard about it and kept, he knew about it and kept quiet. He waited for Reuben until the last day when he was about to depart. That's when he told Reuben, you, my strength, the beginning of my strength, my firstborn. How could you have done that? You went and defiled my bed. Say, because of that, I am given the right of the firstborn to Joseph. And even at that, Judah will still rule over everybody. But the right of the firstborn will go to Joseph. So Joseph had a double portion of what every other person had. He thought the father, maybe the father didn't know, or even the father knew he had forgotten. He didn't forget. I want you to remember this, that God, you may think God has forgotten, or that God doesn't know. He knows. There's nothing that goes behind before God that he doesn't know. The fact that he's not speaking places a greater responsibility on you to go before God and say, Lord, I know I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please help me. The repentance is the easiest thing to do if we would have a heart that is yielded to God. In verse 3, he says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although the words were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua or Jesus had the old the King James says Jesus, but it's actually Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore rest for the people of God. That rest is the time when you stop doing your own work. You're now doing God's work. In, in, in verse 10 it says, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fail according to the same example of disobedience. Our striving, therefore, is to find ourselves in a place where God is doing his work through us. Where we have dealt with the things that so easily beset us. And we are going to look at that in, in, when we are about to conclude. And we will be concluding very soon by the grace of God. It is for this reason that after sanctification and consecration, we are still subjected to the test of small things in our lives. The things that we thought we have left behind, those things now come up. And a lot of times, God is asking us to restitute our ways. Because he's taking us somewhere where restitution behind will be a problem. I had a friend who had an issue. And it was a, it was a, a troubling issue for him. But he was not able to deal with it. It took the best part of well over 20 years for him to deal with. The day he restituted his ways, he said to me, for the first time in my life, I slept like a baby. 20 years. It doesn't matter how long. What is important is that you repent and you restitute your ways. Don't allow yourself to be, to be, to be, to think that, oh, you keep to, you need to keep going. You need to keep going. You, no, you need to take a break. If it means leaving that church for somebody else to run, leave the church, take a break, assess your position. Hear what God is saying. Sometimes ministry can become noise, can become a noise that we will not hear from God anymore. In the Song of, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible speaks of the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It says, let us catch them. Let's catch them. Let's grab them. Let's arrest them. Before they scatter the vineyard. They are scattering the vineyard already. They are scattering the work of God in your hands. They are scattering the vineyard of God in your hands. You may be running to men and seeking support from left, right and center. But they are scattering the vineyard of the Lord. They are making things tough and difficult. For people to, 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 to comprehend that this is Christianity. There is so much hate. Amongst those of us who say we are Christians. So much iniquity. Adultery. Fornication. Even rape. It is, it is shameful to speak about these things that we hear of in the church of God. Vineyards have been scattered. Arrest these little foxes. 
Some of them have gone from way back. You need to arrest them. You need to go, go to God in repentance. Where you need to make restitution, make restitution quickly while you're on the ground floor. Because by the time you get to the top, it will be difficult for you to want to repent. That stubborn heart would have caked so hard that you will not see any way out of this situation. Little foxes like pride. Little foxes like lust. Little foxes like anger. Like envy. Like bitterness. The works of the flesh that should have been shed off. That we are still keeping. Some of them are family altars. When I say family altars, I'm talking of culture. They think, oh, this is how we do it in our family. And it takes preeminence over the word of God. Over what God wants you to do. You need to deal with these little foxes. They are going to destroy the vineyard. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Reading a portion of the Amplified. It says, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance. And it puts in bracket unnecessary weights. There are some unnecessary things that we are carrying about. Some things that we just tug along the way that are not needed in the ministry. They are not needed in the service of God. But we carry them. Remember Esther. When Esther was going to appear before the king, Esther's colleagues tugged these encumbrances, these unnecessary weights. But when Esther was going in, Esther relied on her guy. What her guy was giving her to take to the king. And I'm sure her guy knew the mind of the king. I believe that once the king saw Esther with that, he said, ah, this one is an obedient girl. This one will not give me such. Remember that the king had a wife before Vashti who was arguing with him. Well, when he discarded Vashti, he did not want somebody that would come and argue. He wanted somebody that would be loyal. So I am sure one, I don't, the Bible doesn't state it, but I believe that there was an agreement between the king and her guy. The, one of the tests is any of these girls that will tell you what should I take. That's the girl. Give her whatever it is. I will know. Give her this thing. I will know that this is the girl. So let's not think that, oh, the king was sleeping with the girls. No, 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 no. no. He would have looked at some things. He couldn't have been such a randy man. That would be, no, 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 no. He was looking at some things. Can, can we walk with this person? Can we use this person? Is this fellow stubborn? Is this fellow heady? Would he listen to us and so on and so forth? That's what they were looking at. And Esther took what was given to her and went. Many of us are not content with what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. We are our eyes where somebody else is doing, what somebody else is doing. We want to walk miracles. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit says, go and pray. We want to prophesy. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit says, teach. You know, small things. We think, oh, a, this is a crowd puller. We have become like politicians who say, oh, this, this policy is a vote winner. So all we do is just to win votes. We have nobody's, we have the, the interest of the people is not in our hearts. The interest of God is not in our hearts as people who say they want to serve God. We're only thinking of ourselves. What kind, what kind of thing can I do? What kind of thing can I say that will give more money so I can buy that private jet, so I can buy that car, so I can build that house, and then come to church and boast from, from the monies of poor people how you have been able to achieve so much. May God have mercy on our poor souls. Unnecessary weights. And that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. Let's strip off. Let's get rid of these things. Let's remove them at the ground level. Because it will be difficult when they've stuck to us at the top to remove them. It says, and let us run with patient endurance. We just keep running. We just keep running. Don't try to be somebody else. 
Don't try to come. Don't be in any competition with anybody. Endurance and steady and active persistence. The appointed course of the race that is set before us. There's a race set before us, before you as an individual. There's a path that God has set for you. And that path is what you should run. Leave the other man. The other man is running his own race. You run the race that has been so set before you by the Lord. As I close now, I ask this question. And I want you to ponder on that question. What issue or what issues or like they say in America, what demons are you not dealing with now? Talk to God about it. So that you can deal with them now on the ground floor. Is it that little stinge of pride that comes in once in a while that you want to show that you are something? Is it that anger that wells up within you? Sometimes it can be locked, sometimes it just busts the lead. Is it that envy, that bitterness, that anger? Is it that lust? That desire, some, 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 some people in ministry have even gotten so, so bad that they, they are now following gay lifestyles, getting into drugs and into all kinds of things. Some people say they were born again, but they have not left the past. They are still clinging on to it. I leave you with this scripture and trust God that you, you will pray that scripture through. Psalm 139. Verse 23 and verse 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Talk to God. Say, Lord, here I am, open before you. Search me. Know, you know my heart. Probe into my heart. Trust me. Try me. You know my anxieties. You know my concerns. You know my deficiencies. You know my faults. See if there's any wicked way in me. Let's get rid of this thing. Am I still operating according to the flesh? Father, help me to get rid of it. Is there an unconfessed sin in my life? Lord, remind me, let me confess it. Is there restitution to be made? Oh, Father, help me, let me restitute my ways. Let me turn back so that I can serve you acceptably. Help me, Father. To deal with the issues that I'm struggling with still in my life. As you pray that, I believe God that he will meet you at the point of need. And he will rescue you from that stranglehold. Until we meet again, God bless you.